Hello and welcome back to the fall of the Roman Empire. My name is Nick Holmes and this is episode 10 called Goths. In the last couple of episodes we've heard about the rise of Persia and also the Germanic tribes like the Alamanni, Franks and Saxons. But there was one Germanic tribe that was to play a hugely significant role in Roman history and that tribe was the Goths. For it was of course the Goths or the Visigoths as they were called when the Goths divided between the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths who sacked Rome itself in 410 AD and it was also the Goths or Ostrogoths this time who the Eastern Roman Empire defeated and annihilated in the 6th century when it reconquered Italy and Rome. So you can see that from the 3rd to the 6th centuries the Goths and the Romans were absolutely at loggerheads. But in this episode we're going to look at the origins of the Goths and how they burst onto the Roman scene in the 3rd century when even before the disastrous Roman defeat at the hands of Shapur in 260 when the Emperor Valerian was captured which we've heard about in a previous episode the Goths inflicted a devastating defeat on the Romans and even killed the Roman Emperor Decius at the Battle of Abritus in 251. So how and why did this catastrophe happen? Let's find out in this episode. Hope you enjoy it. No one quite knows where the Goths originally came from. The 6th century Roman historian Jordanes, himself of Gothic origins, wrote that they came from modern-day Gotland in Sweden. But recent archaeological discoveries suggest there is more evidence that they lived along the river Vistula and around the Baltic coastline in modern-day Poland. Roman writers of the first century mention a tribe in this region called the Gutones, which would seem to be a possible fit for the early Goths. But whatever their origins, the Goths, or a large number of them, migrated southwards towards the Black Sea in the period of the Pax Romana. Archaeologists have uncovered the remains of a distinct culture referred to as Cherniakov, which seems to have included a broad multi-ethnic mix of Sarmatian, Dacian and incoming Gothic peoples. The Goths were certainly good at fighting as well as being capable seafarers and also reasonably good farmers. Perhaps foolishly, the Romans recruited some of them as auxiliary units to fight the Sasanian Persians in the 240s. For this seems to have been one of the reasons why the Goths were drawn towards the Roman Empire. It's also quite likely that with the Sasanians increasingly challenging the Romans, the Goths saw an opportunity for easy pickings. Indeed, to keep the Goths on his side while fighting the Persians, Philip the Arab had promised to pay them a generous subsidy. Then double trouble arose yet again, self-inflicted by the Romans and entirely due to their debilitating political disunity. First, as described in a previous episode, when the Emperor Gordian III died in 244, he was either murdered or he died in battle, Philip the Arab, who was leading the Eastern Army as Praetorian Prefect against the Sasanians, paid a huge tribute 
to the Persian Shah Shapur, even when the Romans were winning, so that he could rush back to Rome and persuade the Senate to proclaim him emperor. Not only did this leave Shapur with a free hand in the east, but Decius, the Roman commander in the Balkans that was uh, facing the Goths, who had ironically been appointed to this command by Philip himself, then revolted against Philip. Decius led his army into Italy, where he defeated Philip at the Battle of Verona. Philip was killed probably, in fact, by his own soldiers to ingratiate themselves to Decius, who was the new emperor. The result of this civil war was yet another catastrophe, for when the Gothic king, Caniva, controlling the Gothic tribes along the Danube, saw the Danube legions departing with Decius, and still rueful that he had not been paid the tribute promised by the Romans, he crossed the Danube and invaded Roman Moesia, which uh, is the northern part of modern Serbia and Bulgaria south of the Danube, in 249 AD. While the contemporary sources do not allow us to estimate the size of the Gothic force with any accuracy, it does appear to have been very large, maybe even numbering over 50,000 warriors, of whom about a third could have been horsemen. His expedition may also have been helped by Gothic auxiliaries working for the Romans, another example of an own goal by the Romans. The result was that the Goths ran riot south of the Danube, plundering and pillaging extensively. The only places that survived were walled towns such as the city of Novi, where the Roman governor of Moesia, Trebonanius Gallus put up a brave resistance. Decius was an old-fashioned senator and general, popular with the Senate, who eagerly backed him and proclaimed him emperor. He blamed the Christians for the empire's misfortunes and enforced compulsory sacrifices to the Roman gods throughout the empire to regain the gods' favour. Making sacrifices was, of course, prohibited by the Christians, who suffered accordingly. Next, he promised the Senate that he would swiftly restore the situation in the Balkans and eject the Goths. He even assumed the honorary title of Trajanus in memory of the illustrious Roman Emperor Trajan's famous defeat of the Dacians in the Balkans over a hundred years before. Having struck coins commemorating Trajan's victories to boost the troops' confidence, he hurried back from Italy with his army and achieved a victory over Caniva's Goths near Nicopolis. The source material is limited, but it appears that Caniva then struck back and defeated Decius, allowing the Goths to invade Thrace and sack Philippopolis. By 251, the Goths had got what they wanted with enough booty and prisoners to justify the expedition. Caniva was also secure in his leadership, and so he decided to head home, and the Goths started to work their way back towards the Danube. But by now they were laden with booty and their marching columns were slowed down by long lines of Roman captives. This made the Emperor Decius judge it a good moment to launch an all-out attack. However, 
Caniva seems to have been a step ahead of Decius, and for once the sources are clear that he laid a well-prepared trap for the Romans. Near to the Roman city of Abritus, Caniva carefully chose a stretch of marshy ground, having first cleared pathways through it in such an efficient manner that a late Roman military handbook called Morris's Strategicon, written 250 years later, even recorded his tactics as an example of best practice in how to construct an ambush. Quote, the troops are lined up in front of the swamp, and when the action begins, they feign flight, heading over the passageways and lead the enemy to fall right into the swamp. Then the troops in ambush on the flanks suddenly charge upon them, and the men feigning retreat overpower and destroy the enemy. The Goths use this tactic against the Roman Emperor Decius. End quote. Unfortunately for Decius, he was a touch too impetuous to avenge the recent death of his son, a dashing young cavalry commander, at the hands of the Goths, and he allowed the Romans to fall straight into the trap. Decius and most of his army were killed. It was the first time that a Roman emperor had been killed by barbarians. The Battle of Abritus in 251 AD shocked the Roman world and gave the Goths a free hand south of the Danube. Although Roman garrisons continued to hold out on the mainland, the Goths continued to control much of the countryside in a breakdown of Roman authority that would have shocked the Emperor Trajan, who was famous, of course, for defeating the Dacians north of the Danube and who was Decius's hero, whom he had hoped to emulate. Then things got even worse for the Romans in 253, when the Goths started to use their seafaring skills to launch a series of sea raids against the wealthy cities of Asia Minor and the Aegean. In the 260s, when the Romans had also lost control of the east of their empire to Shapur, this would culminate in the sacking of great cities like Ephesus, which was sacked in 262 and is located in western Anatolia in modern-day Turkey, and it included the destruction of the famous Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, and finally even the greatest centre of civilization in the Roman world, the city of Athens itself, was sacked in 267. The Gothic invasions of the 250s and 60s were a deeply humiliating event for the Romans. It was the first time since Hannibal's invasion of Italy, some 450 years before, that they had had to concede defeat and lose imperial territory. For after Decius's defeat and death, the pressure of a renewed Sasanian-Persian offensive, together with major Germanic attacks in the West meant that they simply did not have the troops available for another major expedition to oust the Goths. Instead, Roman garrison troops did their best to hold out in the main cities south of the Danube against the Goths and to prevent a complete Gothic takeover of the whole of the Balkans. And as described in a previous episode, the Sasanian Persian offensive that had diverted Roman troops from the Danube, thereby helping the Goths, culminated in an even greater disaster when Valerian was defeated and captured 
by the Persian Shah Shapur in 260. So by the early 260s, both the Danube and eastern frontiers had collapsed. And I think one of the most important reasons for this was Roman civil war. As described in a previous episode, the Sasanians were able to defeat the Romans, largely because Philip the Arab decided to head to Rome to get himself proclaimed emperor when the Romans had in fact recovered the initiative in the east. And this was further compounded by the fact that in the 250s and 260s, the Roman army frequently proclaimed its own emperor whenever the sitting emperor was absent or when their favourite general scored a victory over the barbarians. This is, for example, exactly what happened when Philip the Arab was made emperor since his general on the Danube, Decius, revolted against him and marched his troops to Verona to fight Philip. It was precisely because the Danube frontier had been left unguarded that Caneva's Goths decided to cross it. So, in the 250s and 260s, the Roman Empire was brought down by an infernal cycle of civil war, which in turn prompted foreign invasion. For example, this spiral continued when Decius was killed by the Goths at the Battle of Abritus, for the surviving Roman troops that had served under Decius immediately appointed one of their own, Tribonianus Gallus, as their emperor, whereupon Gallus went to Rome to have himself proclaimed emperor. He left Emilianus as commander in the Balkans to contain the Goths, but when Emilianus scored a minor victory over the Goths, the legions proclaimed him emperor. Emilianus then marched to fight Gallus, who he defeated in Italy, and when Gallus was killed by his own soldiers, Emilianus was declared emperor. But Emilianus himself reigned for only three months in 253 before he too was killed by his own men, since yet another general had been declared emperor by the same troops that had killed both Gallus and Emilianus. And this time it was Valerian, the emperor who would, of course, be defeated and captured by Shapur in 260 with such disastrous consequences. So, the root cause of this dizzying merry-go-round of imperial usurpations and assassinations was really Augustus's poisoned legacy of a flawed imperial government. As Tacitus had noted nearly 200 years before, the year of the four emperors in 68 to 69 AD revealed the secret of the Roman Empire, which was that the legions could proclaim an emperor whenever and wherever they wished. And this was exactly what happened time and again in the third century. And the cost to the Romans in the 250s was simply staggering. The Roman army must have suffered huge casualties. Although the source material is unreliable, we know for certain that at least three large Roman armies were destroyed within the space of 10 years. The first by the Goths at Abritus in 251, the second by the Sasanian Persians at Barbalissus in 253, when the Persian sources claimed that a Roman army of six 60,000 soldiers was destroyed, 
And the third was, of course, the destruction of the Emperor Valerian's army at Edessa in 260, when the Persians claimed to have destroyed an army of 70,000 Romans. Then there were also countless other battles and smaller engagements on all three of Rome's major frontiers, the East, the Danube and the Rhine. And we can only guess at casualty rates, but if the Roman army had around 300,000 men in 250, with 30 legions, which we know they had, with 5,000 men approximately each, and that would mean 150,000 legionaries in total, plus a similar number of auxiliary troops, so another 150,000 auxiliaries, then maybe during the 250s, most of that army was actually lost, representing perhaps up to a quarter of a million Roman casualties. And the result of this carnage was the disintegration of the Roman Empire in the 260s. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd be really grateful if you wanted to subscribe, tell a friend, or best of all, to leave a review, or if you're using Spotify, to click the rating button that they've just installed there. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much. And in the next episode, we'll move on to the next stage of the Roman crisis of the third century. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Music